0: its first H-bomb to join the United States and Russia as ranking atomic powers. The thermonuclear device was fired high over its target in the Christmas Islands, keeping fallout at a minimum. But the test added heat to the mounting debate over the safety of atomic tests and came to on the eve of renewed disarmament talks between Russia and the West. With a limitation on further atomic tests increasing in possibility, Britain has staked its claim to full status as a nuclear world power, perhaps none too soon. Welcome back to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. Today we will be talking about Stanley Kubrick's Doctor Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb from 1964. Screenplay by Kubrick and Terry Southern and one other gent. You said Peter George. Peter George. I think who wrote the who wrote the novel. This is based on a totally totally serious novel um, about you know a, a fantasy doomsday scenario uh, that led to. Uh, a, only only Peter Sellers uh, and Terry Southern working with Stanley Kubrick could have come up with this screenplay, if there was even a screenplay for any of the stuff that uh, that Peter Sellers ended up improvising. I don't actually know, but so excited to cover this movie. Uh, I just happened to see that this one was for free now on Amazon Prime. So if you're listening to this and you've never seen Dr. Strangelove, please pause this podcast and go watch it. This, is a, this one also is is quick. This one is in and out. I think in, what, 90, 90 minutes, minutes or less?
1: 95 minutes, sure.
0: Unbelievable job with exposition right into the action and for my money, one of the funniest movies that I can name off the top of my head.
1: So in our first part, we'd like to talk about our overall impression. So I, I wanna start, let me just, excuse me, I'm, I'm having my nightly cocktail of uh, rainwater and grain alcohol. So, um, you know, Mike, this is our second film we're done, we've done where the world ends at the end. Do you remember the first movie we did where the world ends? No. Cabin in the Woods, Cabin in the Woods. That's exactly right. right, So here's my take upon upon, uh, Dr. Strangelove. In the first place, um, we can compare it to Failsafe. We can compare it to all kinds of of, of other very obvious um, films. But this movie I think is so great because it's very much like The Honeymooners. Okay, how is it like The Honeymooners? It's all great performances and minimal sets and, that, and, and, and perfectly written, right? You've got the war room, you've got Ripper's office and you've got the cockpit. And just like on The Honeymooners, you have Ralph's apartment. Every once in a while, you get the bus station, you might get the pool hall, but basically the whole thing is a, is a table and really great actors walking in and out of a room. And this film struck me today as so brilliant because, and of course the sets are great. The war room looks great. It's iconic, that giant light, the giant map, the big board. But the strength of this film is how great the performances are. And watching it today, it also struck me that this is an all-or-nothing movie. Either you get this movie and you think it's one of the greatest, funniest movies ever made, or you don't. Nobody could say, it's kind of funny. It's like The Big Lebowski or The Wicker Man. You either get what's great about it or you don't. You cannot have a mixed opinion of this. I've shown this film to people who sat there roaring with laughter at the Peter Sellers stuff when he's the president on the phone. And I've also shown it to people who just sat there kind of stone-faced, right? So that, that's my overall take. on it. I have more to say about Peter Sellers, but you just saw it last night. What was your overall take on seeing you for the 30th time? I'm, I'm laughing so hard
0: because when you said the big board, I can't help but see George C. Scott's face in my mind while he's yeah. uh, at, the, at the big board. What a performance from George C. Scott. I, there are, Peter Sellers obviously is, is the, the guy that everybody knows. You might, you might come to see him just for this but oh my God, what a performance by George C. Scott, ca- like carrying this movie in any scene that Peter Sellers isn't in.
1: Yeah, and when he slaps his stomach, that's a great, that's a great bit when he, he's with Miss Foreign Affairs. You know, what's funny is that, uh, you know, this film reminds me of Game by Donald Bartholomew, you ever read that, that story, Game? Absolutely. About, very much like that, right? About the, how the human, the, the, the human fallibility enters in to the mechanized warfare. But for me, the, the politics, as I've gotten older, I find the politics of the film less and less interesting than the performances, right? Like there's all the obvious jokes, like, you know, um, you know, you know peace is our profession, or, you know, you can't fight in here, it's the war room. But I really think, I really think what makes this movie great is, is if I can allude to one of the funny scenes in movie history, which is the biggest dickest scene in Life of Brian, right? So in Life of Brian, there's the famous biggest dickest scene. I won't go into it here what it is, but that movie is about all the centurions trying to maintain their composure under unbelievable pressure not to laugh. So the idea of people under extreme stress trying to keep their composure, that's a recipe for comedy. And it's something that Terry Southern has written with Kubrick in here so well. Like Mandrake, when he's trying to tell Ripper the plane should be recalled, there must be something wrong somewhere. We, we don't want to start a nuclear war unless we have to. Like trying to use his Britishness to, to overcome w- what's going on with Sterling Hayden. You know When Muffley has to call Demetri, he oh, we're fine, uh, so we're both fine. Of course I like to say hello. There's all these great scenes when you said before, Georgie e. Scott, has to tell the president about what happened. Oh, I'm afraid, uh, afraid he's still the base, sir. I'm afraid all communications are down. Like it's all these people under extreme pressure for, for the most pressure there is, not for um, whether or not he's going to get to talk to Shirley McLean on Christmas Eve. This is about the fate of the earth. But that pressure, the, the way they try to cope with it is, is hilarious. Because the end
0: of their personhood would be the end of the world anyway. So it is the end of the world. As soon as he stops being a general his world would end, so he's gotta be a general, but he comes off like a mechanic, telling the guy why the car's not gonna make it. Um, and it's it's so unbelievably brilliant. I mean, the the only part of the politics I think that appeals to me is how similar the American characters and the Russian characters are, yeah. as opposed to the American and, and British characters. And it, Sterling Hayden is the most American character that there will ever be in 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 any movie. Uh, and of course, Peter Sellers as Lionel Mandrake is, right. uh, is playing the most British character that that there will ever be right. in any movie uh, who never breaks his Britishness, no matter what's going
1: on. Right. Did they torture you, Mandrake? Oh, not a good time, sir. Let's <laughs> like talk about it. Yes, I, I was laying tracks for the Japanese. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. But it's funny what you said about Sterling Hayden and the Russian, right? You know, my source is the New York Times. How, how uh, you know, um, it turns out that he, he was right in his suspicions that he is taking photos right to the very end with his, his fake watch, taking his photos of the big board. So it's funny about, the, about um, you know, what you said about the politics of the movie is that I think that this movie tre- takes all commerce politically.
0: But it's the other brilliant thing about it, uh, as you said, has to do with these powder keg scenes, but how brilliantly the characters are maintained between them. You mentioned Bartholomew. Uh, which reminds me of, of actually so much of that black comic literature from the mid-60s sec- uh, all the way to the, to the 70s, and even up to something like Infinite Jest by David Foster Walls, which is essentially, it's a literary version of Dr. Strangelove. It's about a doomsday device that can end the world, but there's only four or five different scenes and the way that it switches between them, but by creating continuity, uh, such that even if you haven't seen a character for 20 minutes on screen, the minute that you see their face, you're back in their universe. And I think it's, it's obviously amazing that Peter Sellers can do that over two or three different characters. Yeah. But you know, even James Earl jo- young James Earl Jones as the super serious guy who's trying to explain why the bombs are not going to drop to his you know, cowboy lieutenant who's got to go down, make sure they drop and ends up riding a bomb to the end of his world.
1: Yes. Right. Now, of course, you probably know this, that, you know, the three roles that Peter Sellers plays in the film, he was also supposed to have the slim Pickens role too, because Kubrick wanted it to be so that at any given moment, somehow Peter Sellers was determining the fate of the earth.
0: That's great. I didn't know that. I did know that Kubrick loved Peter Sellers and thought he was a genius and just would let it point a camera at him and let him do whatever he wanted.
1: As we know from Lolita. Okay. So I'll see you in part two.
0: Welcome back. So in part two, obviously that our favorite scenes or scenes that are indicative of the themes of the film as a whole, there's too many favorite scenes to go through. Yeah, Dan. You did. You could just
1: put this. You could put in the DVD and just, just stop it at a random moment and that could be your scene. So initially when I knew we were going to talk to her, I thought, well, the opening is certainly when, when the planes are having intercourse, right? That's certainly a representative thing of the film because that's what the strange love of the film is, right? The world in which this movie takes place, you know, war has replaced sex, uh, the bomb has replaced the bombshell, and, um, you know, we can go through all this, the joke names that everybody has in the film and about how, you know, f- for, the, for this male world, this, this testosterone-filled uh, world, that's what war is. You, know, you don't have to be Sigmund Freud to see you know, Jack B. Ripper's cigar. And when he has that hilarious speech about, you know, oddly enough, it came to me in the physical act of love. I felt a profound sense of emptiness and loss. And it can't be his own impotence. It had to be the, the communist, sapping his precious bodily fluids, fluids. So that's all there. You don't need. Nobody needs a podcast to explain that. Watching it again, though, because I knew we were going to do the show, what struck me as perfectly indicative of the movie is when Peter Sellers is trying to get the, the change out of the Coca-Cola machine to put into the payphone and bet guano if that is your real name is giving him a hard time about it and that struck me as not only in keeping with the whole um vibe of the movie where you have characters under duress where where silly things are 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 getting in the way of big things, right? It reminded me of just like the aggravation you have trying to use uh, Microsoft Outlook. It, and all the aggravations you have during your day, trying to get this thing to load And Why won't this work now? And uh, the, the website crashed and uh, you know, data security breaches and stuff because somebody called a password password or something like that. Like all these things like that, those things would still go on <laughs> even during the most, the most god-awful crisis in human history. How about you, what was your moment?
0: Uh, My moment is when uh, Sterling Hayden pulls the machine gun out of his uh, golf bag and starts (laughs) to fire back on the troops. And he looks at Lionel and he says, come over here and feed me this belt, son. Which uh, Sterling Hayden is either one of the greatest actors of all time or he's so in character that he literally doesn't know they're making a movie. And I'm willing to bet it's B.
1: I, I am that there's I watch this and I say Sterling Hayden is the greatest actor ever in the history of cinema, or he's like a blockhead and he just shows up and has no idea what he's doing. And I thought the same thing when we did um what's the uh, the long goodbye, and apparently in all those scenes he was drunk too. But even as McCloskey, he's great. I mean it's talk about a, talk about finding a guy's role. I mean he's so perfect. I mean I,
0: I first saw him I guess when I was fifteen or sixteen in Asphalt Jungle and I thought the same thing, which is everybody around him is acting, but I wonder if he just kind of stumbled onto the set. <laughs> Did they just find this guy and say, oh, he'll be good, he'll be good. You know, because we all know George C. Scott, and then you think right. of him and Patton, and, it, you know, he's, he gives these unbelievable performances. And here he's going toe-to-toe, literally, with Peter Sellers, acting with his entire body and his entire face. And you just think, I can't believe you went the distance with Peter Sellers. But really, when it comes to Sterling Hayden, turn to the other character and say, come over here and feed me this belt, son. It is the most natural, it's the cheesiest dialogue, but also for it to sound so natural coming out of his mouth means there's something about his aura that's just working on me as a viewer.
1: Yeah, Georgie Scott is is great. Everyone in the film is great, but Georgie Scott does more like quote unquote acting things, like playing with the gum and the way he's looking around. And of course, Peter Sellers has all the makeup on him, but the scenes, the scenes, I was even laughing at Sterling Hayden sitting stock still when Peter Sellers goes to try to leave at the first door, the first door is locked. Then he tries to go to the second door and the second door is locked. He has just no reaction. If you're like, well, I guess he's just like waiting for his line. Or he, he's, a, he's a, a, the most brilliant actor that's ever been on screen. We'll have, to, we'll have to let the viewers figure that out. All right, I'll see you in part three. Here we are in part three where we talk about the ending of the title. We mentioned the title before. Well, certainly uh, you can't do better of an ending for a film than this one. Mike, what's your take on the ending? I mean, so many people have used
0: the acts of brutal violence over, you know, sardonic music, Yes, but but this is it. I mean, I always roll my eyes at this, but this is the er usage uh, of that trope. It's... I can't think of something that came before it. I don't know if it's necessarily the origin of that of that trope of the soundtrack and the you know not not matching the content. But what an utterly brilliant choice of song and and an utterly brilliant uh, choice uh, of of beautiful visual imagery of yes. the mushroom cloud and explosions and so brilliantly matching the beginning. By the way, you know the 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 way that it reads versus the beginning, as you mentioned is, um, it, it, you know, it's exactly like Finnegan's Wake or something where the, you know, the, the tail of the snake is going right back into the mouth. You see, you see those planes, you see the plane detached from the other plane uh, and you know you, you need that payoff, the payload uh, and it's coming at the end.
1: Yes, it sure is, right? I mean, there's a, there is a certain disturbing odd beauty about it. If we didn't know what you were watching, you, would, you might think it was, you know, just, you know fractals or something. But um, right, right on what you said about, you know, um, Vera Lynn singing We'll Meet Again and the, the sentimental song from World War II. Um, what do you make of of the moment before that, of course, with the last line in the film where Peter Seller stands up with my fur, I can walk.
0: That's the best, that's the best. Uh, that's, that's the best. Part of the movie, obviously, is uh, just letting Peter Sellers go wild uh, with explaining why they, that, why they'll have to live in bunkers for a hundred years and what the rules of the new society will be, <laughs> and feeling. Uh, I mean. It, this, this is like a thing with all of us doom scrolling now while we're stuck in, while we're stuck in quarantine, but there, there is a certain percentage of the population in any given tragedy that's not sad about it because regular life was not working for them. So to, so to see the social order break up and give them a chance to elevate themselves is, is what they wanted all along. And it's just amazing the way that Dr. Strangelove pushes himself uh, out of the shadows. To give that amazing performance, and how Peter Sellers can morph himself into another person, and the first time that he says it, you, you can hear it in his voice, and you know where he comes from, and and obviously they they don't want you to forget that this is not just a a Russian an American thing. This is about all of the all of the the Nazis that America right. used in order to to come up with the program. But you know, political notes aside, he's he's standing there. And the, the beauty in the change of loyalties uh, from calling him mein Führer and then I, Mr. President <laughs> and then moving, moving on is unbelievably funny. Yeah, and, when, and of course- way to make that funny other than Peter Sellers.
1: Yeah, it's brilliant. It's it's the only it's the only way you can have the last line of the film because it's great. Because if the beginning is the um you know the foreplay with the planes and then you get the whole movie, you know at the end what happens is you know it's it's the Doctor Strangelove stands erect and he says I can walk and then you get the orgasmic rapture at the end of the film and and there you go. So you like you said the, the payload has been delivered. Well,
0: the the idea is that he's you know that he's fighting his bot he's fighting down all the impulses yeah. that make him strange or weird, but but now they belong yes. and they can finally they can finally come out, you know, it, because the, the, the joke is like, if you read, if, if he's writing the new version of the book of Genesis, you know, the joke would be, I bet you, you know, this society was just written by a bunch of old white guys standing around coming up with the rules, you know, the, the, the rules that would, that would best serve their pleasure and keep them in power, <laughs> which is literally what happens, but they, but they turn into a Monty Python sketch, but yeah. better because he's got Peter Sellers.
1: Yeah, he thinks he's gonna have to, he thinks he's gonna get to live in a world where he can let his hand do whatever it wants. <laughs> <laughs> all right we hope you've enjoyed our conversation about dr strangelove and don't forget that um, if you subscribe to the criterion channel the streaming channel they just released nine or 10 films with peter sellers this among them so you can check that out but thanks for listening please follow us on twitter at 15 five film really really thanks for thanks a lot and subscribe rate us wherever you get your podcast let us know what we should watch next thanks a lot
0: thanks for listening